1517, a German priest named Martin Luther challenges the authority of the Pope and in the process starts a revolution. This was a man of conviction who was willing to die for what he believed. Luther risks his life as he questions everything from indulgences to salvation. Here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. He nails his 95 theses to the door in Wittenberg and sparks what we now call the Reformation. Luther essentially said that every individual person must become a pope, must be the definitive interpreter of the, of the Bible. The Catholic Church denounces the reformers as heretics and seeks to snuff out those who threaten the community. You disagree, you go home at night and you start three new churches or denominations when you argue. Truth unites, but truth also divides. Did the Reformation go too far? If we had just found a way to take in Luther's great, legitimate insight, there could be a Lutheran order within Catholicism. Can the unity Jesus called for ever be achieved? This is the Reformation. Well, every 500 years, a massive transition occurs within the community of God's people. These times are often characterized by a disruption so that new possibilities for growth can emerge. Out of these transitions, a more vital form of Christianity has often been the result. To illustrate, let's go back 2,000 years. During the first decades of the first century, God became man in the person of Jesus. Jesus disrupted the inherited religious patterns of the day and showed a new way of living life in the kingdom of God. His perfect life, sacrificial death, and evil defeating resurrection made this new possibility available for every person on the planet. He ascended to be with the Father and gave us the Holy Spirit who helped establish the church and the world has never, ever been the same. Now let's fast forward 500 years. Near the end of the 5th century, the Roman Empire fell, which ushered in the period of history considered and known as the Dark Ages. To guard the Christian faith in the wake of such looming barbaric times, St. Benedict and others helped to found the monastic movement within Christianity, which not only helped to strengthen and preserve the faith, but it also brought stability and political help to the time when it was needed most. Many of the great devotional practices that we still use today were birthed out of this shift in church history. The next seismic transition happened in the year 1054. This is the year in which what is known as the Great Schism took place. The Great Schism divided the church in the west, centered in Rome, and the church in the east, centered in Constantinople. This was the first grand division of the faith, which resulted in Eastern Orthodoxy in the east and the Roman Catholic Church in the west. Now the next major division that happened in church history took place in the next 500 years later. In the 16th century, it became common practice in the Roman Catholic Church to sell indulgences. Now if you'll indulge me for a moment, I'll tell you what these are all about. <laughs> An indulgence was a payment to the Catholic Church that purchased exemption from some punishment for some type of sin. 
One famous indulgent seller who made great money for the church was a man named Johann Tessel. You could liken him to a corrupt televangelist of the day. And one of the things that he went as far to proclaim was this, that you could actually rescue a loved one from purgatory if you gave enough money. And purgatory, in the minds of some Catholics, was a place that you would go before heaven to help have your sins be removed. Tetzel's famous line was this, when the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. That'll preach. But because the ways that God's people were being misled by the religious authorities of the day, a German monk and theology professor named Martin Luther rose up to challenge what he believed dangerous false teaching. To do so, Luther scripted a set of arguments against indulgence and other corruptions in the church, famously called his 95 Theses. He posted these on the castle church door in the German town of Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517. These arguments boldly challenged the authority of the church and the Pope and called the church to reform its practices to better reflect the true essence of the gospel. And with the help of the recent invention of the printing press, Luther's thoughts spread like wildfire. There's a news headline from back then that captures this reality really well. I went viral <laughs> before viral was cool. Now the nailing of the 95 Theses is what helped to, uh, what the historians would cite as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, a movement that helped usher the spread of Christianity to every part of the world since then. Now, if you're wondering what any of this has to do with us here today, then you have raised a good question. So let me offer this observation. If this trend of seismic shifts that happen every 500 years continues, then we might be living in the, in the middle of a big movement of God right now. We might be living in the very eye of the storm as we speak. Have you gotten any sense that something seems to be stirring? Well, if our present moment is the heart of what may be a disruptive yet new move of God, then we would be wise to learn from the past as best as we can. Because if we want to know where we're going, we've got to know where we've been. As it said, history really means his story. To know the future of God's story, we have to know important parts from the past. Because if God is doing something new today, we have to know what he has been doing yesterday. And my hunch is this, that based on what all that we're going to explore this morning, I believe God is moving to help raise up every single member of his entire church across the whole world to do impactful ministry in the days and the generations to come. That's everybody, not just church leaders, but every single one of us. So today, we are going to explore three major breakthroughs that happened during the course of the Reformation era that not only changed the course of history, but that can lead to change and major breakthroughs in our lives here today, especially as it affects our daily work as well. The first pertains to our relationship with God. The second, to the authority of the Bible in our lives. And the third, to the calling that God has placed on each and every one of us. A sacred calling. Now in many ways, as we're going to see, the Reformation brought great freedom and power to what it means to be a Christian. 
So I'm undoubtedly grateful for the many significant advancements that this period of history brought to the church. But at the same time, I also lament over many of the negative consequences of the Reformation as well. The foremost of those being the great divisions that exist in our church today. It should be noted that Martin Luther and some of his contemporaries never initially intended to try and split the church, only to reform it for the better. But unfortunately, dividing the church became the outcome. And now we not only have the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Lutheran Church, but literally tens of thousands of denominations all over the world. And that division grieves my heart. One, very, uh, one other important disclaimer to make as well is that none of these famous reformers like John Calvin or Martin Luther were perfect people. It's easy to turn some of these flawed men into heroic figures, but much of their behavior and some of their writings should be utterly rejected. Most notably would be Martin Luther's views on the Jewish people. Luther's despicable anti-Semitic writings at the end of his life were actually used generations later by the German dictator Adolf Hitler as part of his justification for the Holocaust in the 20th century. So even though many of Luther's writings should be praised and well-received, significant parts of them should be outrightly rejected. And I'll openly confess I struggle to understand how God can use people as flawed as Martin Luther to accomplish things of such importance for his kingdom. But the reality is, with the exception of Jesus, all of our heroes are flawed heroes. Just read the Old Testament. But this is actually pretty good news for flawed people like you and me. Because despite our mistakes and often our wrong views about things, God can and still does use people like us to accomplish his work in the world. So let's discover how he might be doing a new thing, not only in the church, but a new thing in your life today as we explore these Reformation breakthroughs. And the first of which is a breakthrough in our relationship with God. Now Martin Luther grew up like many of us, understanding the church's teaching to be that the way that you formed a right relationship with God was by doing enough of the right acts before him. Things like saying prayers or attending church or confessing sins or being generous, to name a few. Luther performed all these religious duties with as much devotion as anyone, and yet he never felt assured that he was in the right relationship with God. Because of this, he lived a life of per persistent, terrifying anxiety over many of the questions that ominously hovered over him like a dark cloud. Does God really love me? Where will I spend eternity? Have my good works been good enough to outweigh my worst sins? Did I say enough prayers? These are questions that have disturbed nearly every person who has taken their relationship with God seriously. All of these unknowns, though, were so distressing to Luther that they even negatively impacted his physical health, and he wrote extensively about his gastrointestinal system. It was gross, but he wrote about those things. But after years of wrestling with how to respond uh, to be approved by God, a major breakthrough occurred in Martin Luther's life while he was reading and teaching through the New Testament book of Romans. 
So let's look at the passage that shed new light on the gospel, not only for Luther, but for millions of us in the centuries to follow, who are all the beneficiaries of the legacy of this teaching. So if you brought a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, or you can follow along on the screens. Here the Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for all who believe, the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Now the phrase that made a major breakthrough in Luther's thinking was the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God refers to how someone can be made right to be united in relationship with the Lord. This, this, uh, the way this can occur is not through our good works or our personal efforts. No, the righteousness of God, it is a gift that we receive through faith. Now, faith has two primary interconnected dimensions to it. They're kind of like two sides of the same coin. On one side of the coin, faith means Taking God at his word. Taking God at his word. In other words, that we believe that God is who he said he is and that he's going to do all that he said he's going to do. We receive the gift of right relationship with God by trusting in the fact that he has given us this gift of life with God because of what Christ has done. What this means is that Christ's life counts as our very own. What Christ has done in God's eyes, is what we have done. So when God looks at us, he doesn't look at all of our flaws, all of our sins and mistakes. No, but through faith, when God sees us, he sees Jesus. It is through this good news, that is great news, that we can be freed from all of the crippling anxieties and the lies of the enemy telling us that we are not good enough. Thus, because of this incredible reality, faith also means, on the other side of the coin, trusting God in a participating kind of way. It's not just something we believe as like a proposition in our minds, but it's something that we allow our whole lives to be aligned with. Therefore, as we live by faith, our lives should look differently. We aren't put into a right relationship with God uh, by the quality of our character or our behavior, but changes in our character and way of life are the inevitable result of receiving this gift in faith. Let me try and illustrate. This past year, my wife Erin bought me this great gift, which is a hiking backpack. And if anyone knows me, they know I loved to hike. And on my days off, I would often go hiking. But since I watch our little 15-month-old son on our days off, I haven't done a lot of hiking on those days. But thanks to Erin, she has bought me this great gift. And I accepted it warmly and gratefully. But surprisingly, I hadn't used it for the longest time. Anybody have a great gift that you've received just sitting around being unused in your house? Well, that's kind of what this was for me. Until about this week, I was driving down I-93, right through where the Middlesex Fells Nature Reservation is, and I saw that the leaves had finally been uh, changing, so I thought, I've got to go hiking on my day off. So I pulled this out of the basement. I got it all configured so our son could fit in there, and it's about 30 pounds. It was a little heavy, but we got out and hiked about five miles through the fells, and it was an incredible time. Here's a little pic uh, just to show you. 
Now, for anybody, oh, thanks. If anybody does any kind of communication and you end up talking about some things that might, some people might find boring, I always encourage you, throw up a picture of a baby or a puppy. They don't have to be yours, and you'll just reel everybody back in. So to really receive this gift here from Aaron, it meant that I didn't just accept it and say, thank you, I believe you gave me this gift and I'm grateful for it, and storing it away and forgetting about it. It actually meant that I had to use it. I had to put on the backpack and enjoy all that it afforded me to do. And in the same way, receiving this, good, this new gift of new life in God offered to us in Christ doesn't just mean accepting what Christ has done as some proposition in our heads, but living in such a way that we believe it's true. No, we don't have to do anything to earn this gift, but it's a gift that then leads to action. It is a gift then. We can say this about faith. It's a gift, but faith is about participating in what God is doing through this great gift. Faith means more than just accepting the backpack, saying, thank you so much for this backpack, and then just putting it away. Faith means putting it on, using it, enjoying it, even treasuring this incredible gift. And there is no greater gift that any of us could receive than life with God that begins now and goes on forever. Those who are in the right relationship with God are those who live by faith, who walk by faith. So let me ask you, have you put on the backpack that God has extended to you, this gift of salvation, and are you walking in that new life with him? So as you can imagine or can maybe personally attest, Luther's breakthrough here that we are saved by grace through faith is absolutely revolutionary. In fact, he said that as he grasped this, that we are made right with God through faith, that he felt like he was reborn. He said he felt like he had gone through the open doors into paradise. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we no longer need to live with the anxiety over what God thinks of us anymore. We no longer need to live in fear, wondering if we have been good enough or have done enough. We can instead walk with freedom and passion and forgiveness because of the amazing gift that God has given to us. This is a Reformation breakthrough that makes every bit of difference in our lives here and now and forever. And so let me ask you, has this breakthrough broken through in your life? So the first breakthrough that grew out of Luther's convictions was that we are made right with God through faith. If this is true, then Luther contended that the scriptures, secondly, not popes or church councils, are the standard guide and authority for the Christian faith. Not scripture and the traditions of the church, but scripture alone. Thus, the second major Reformation breakthrough set the scripture as the ultimate authority and guide by which we are to look for truth and direction in life. One text in the Bible that sheds light on this, the power and authority of the scriptures is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Here Paul writes, All scripture is inspired by God, and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Now, Luther's contention 
that scripture alone is to be the ultimate guide and authority in our life, unsurprisingly, was not all that well received by the Pope and the other religious authorities of the day. They actually found Luther's message to be so threatening that the Pope issued Luther to be permanently expelled from the church unless he retracted of his, the ideas that he wrote about. The uproar caused such a stir and it had become so great over this that Luther was summoned to stand before the emperor of the day, Charles V, at an assembly in the German city of Worms, which is spelled like Worms. This famous meeting is referred to as the Diet of Worms. One illustrator captured what the scene might have literally looked like. Let's see. That is a, diet, that is, that is a meal of worms, but... Diet just meant assembly. And here's a more accurate or fitting picture of what this might have looked like. So after being asked to give an account of his writings, Luther once again insisted that only biblical authority would be what guided him. Let's listen to these famous words of Luther. Since then, your serene majesty and your lordship seek a simple answer. I give it in this manner, neither horned nor toothed, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. Those, those are fighting words right there. <laughs> I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. What conviction and passion and courage. Although Luther's bold, fearless words rang out powerfully, the emperor was not impressed. He declared Luther to be an outlaw and his punishment would be the death sentence. Days after this, Luther was being taken en route to where the sentence would be issued, but he was secretly captured by the local prince in his part of Germany who liked Luther and he hid Luther in the uh, Wartburg castle to live in disguise and in secret. Now, during this time, Luther didn't sulk or lament over the fact that he wasn't able to teach and continually publicly lead this reforming movement. No, he ended up seizing the new opportunity that lied before him, even while he was living in hiding. So often in life, when things seem to take a turn for the worse, we can be very tempted to almost quit doing or trying what we've been working toward and wait for our circumstances to change before we get back into doing what we feel called to do. Now, while there are undoubtedly moments where we need to grieve our disappointments or unfulfilled hopes, we must also look to God to see what opportunity might lie hidden in the midst of our hardships. Could the setback that you're experiencing right now be an opportunity to work towards something that you never intended to do. If you're living in a period that feels like captivity, like life's on hold, I invite you to pray to God to ask what opportunity might lie in the midst of this hardship or setback. 
Now for Luther, this period of hiding led him to focus his undivided attention on an enormous project, translating the entire Bible into the common German vernacular of the day. See, up to this point, people living around Luther's time would have only had access to the Bible in Latin predominantly, and that would have only been taught by priests and other religious authorities. But within Luther's first year of living in hiding, he translated the entire New Testament into German and made accessible the very words of God to everyone who could read. And once again, thanks to the printing press, God's word was able to spread rapidly everywhere. Can you just imagine what this might have been like to be able to hear the Bible in your own native tongue and a tongue that you could actually understand and not the Latin that just would have gone right over your head? It would have been a revolutionary breakthrough for people. And today, we are the beneficiaries of the sacrifices of people like Luther, who helped put the Bible into common language. Even as a church here at Grace, we are so thankful to be able to support some of our partners that are doing the work of Bible translation all over the world, like Seth and Lauren Vitrano Wilson in Thailand, who will be with us next week for Global Awareness Week, or Jeff and Judy Heath, uh, who serve in Chad. And your generosity makes this great kingdom work possible. So thank you. But as thrilling as that breakthrough was and continues to be today, I fear that we are experiencing the tendency of taking the Bible for granted. Even though it's more widely available and accessible than ever before, because it isn't admittedly the easiest book to read and doesn't always instantly meet our felt needs, we can all too often ignore it or just leave it on the shelves or, leaving our, or just leave our Bible apps unopened. But any Reformation sermon worth its salt would not be complete without a bold call to get back to reading and meditating and loving Scripture. So let's keep bringing our Bibles to church. Let's find a reading plan that uh, you can be on. Get in a group that's studying the Bible like one of our life communities. Take advantage of some of the great resources that exist everywhere here today. My personal favorite that's come out over recent years is called The Bible Project. It offers short animated films uh, about all the books and the major themes of the Bible to help you understand them. Check that out, thebibleproject.com. We've been using it in our young adult ministry, and it has been life-changing for many people. So let's continue this great legacy of the Reformation by, that it fanned into flame by being people who not only study and know, but love and live the scriptures. Because as we live out the Bible's message, we can best experience the abundant life that God makes available to each and every one of us. Amen? So the final Reformation breakthrough that we'll explore briefly here picks up where the last breakthrough left off. Now if the scriptures are the ultimate authority of how we are to live out our faith, then we must explore what the Bible says pertaining to our calling from God. It's not merely the popes and bishops and priests and missionaries and pastors who are given a sacred calling by God, but each and every person. Let's look in our Bibles to 1 Peter 2.9. Here Jesus' disciple Peter writes these words. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Now, this text is the basis for one of the most influential contributions of the Reformation era, what we call the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Now, in the ancient world, priests were set apart to help represent God to the people and the people to God. Ancient priests would offer the blood sacrifice of animals to cover over the sins of the people. But Christ's sacrifice, his blood, ended all of those sacrifices because his death on the cross offered the full and the final sacrifice for sin. The biblical idea of priesthood, then, isn't about authority within the church as much as it's about the church's collective role and God's mission to the world. Luther developed this idea in his book called The Freedom of the Christian. And if you want to read Luther, that's a great place to start. And in it, he affirms that every single believer has equal access to the presence of God and the mission of God because of Christ. He writes this, By that priesthood, we are worthy to appear before God, to pray for others, and to teach one another mutually the things of God. Because Jesus is our great high priest, we can have a direct, first-hand relationship with God. We don't need the intermediate, uh, intermediary assistance of a priest or other religious figure any longer. Now, just to ensure my own job security for a moment, <laughs> I personally find that pastors and other faith leaders can be an incredible help to come alongside you in your faith journey. <laughs> don't you, right? Yeah? All right. But none of us should ever stand in the way and stand in between you and God. While sermons and books and podcasts can be a great aid to your faith, never allow yourself to become so dependent on them that you miss out on encountering God firsthand through prayer and through the study of Scripture and through obeying Him. See, the calling for all believers to be God's priests is the Reformation breakthrough that I believe still needs to break through into our church more than ever today, especially as it relates to our daily work, whether that's paid or unpaid. Since God has given all of us a holy calling, all the work that we do is holy, sacred work. Thus, no matter what your job is or work is, we should do it as if we are serving God and not a teacher or parent or boss or other family member or officer, but we should do it as if we're serving God himself because we are. Doing our work really well is one of the best ways that we can love our neighbors as ourselves and worship God. One of my favorite statements that's attributed to Luther about this concept says this, let's say a shoemaker becomes a Christian. His or her first responsibility isn't to start putting little crosses on the shoes that they're making. Their first responsibility is to make really good shoes. Luther said, he said this because it's not God who needs our good works, but our neighbors do need our good work. So how might you fulfill the role that God has put you in or the multiple roles he's put you in as a caretaker or student or parent or friend or boss or an employee? How might you do those roles as if you were a priest of God, someone who is embodying the very presence of Christ and bringing that presence to every person you interact with and all the tasks that you engage with?
See, if we begin to see all the mundane, unwanted work that we encounter every day as a holy calling, just imagine how much more significance our lives would have and how much better off our world might be. This is what becomes possible when every member of the church sees themselves as a minister. You are all ministers of God. That's a great breakthrough. So to try and wrap things up here this morning, I firmly believe that the more these breakthroughs break through into our lives and our church, the more we can be a part of the new thing that God is doing in this 500-year moment in history. I believe God seems to be doing and undoing something significant in this present moment because he is far from done reforming and reshaping the church and people like you and me. And I believe this, that God wants to unleash every single member of the church for his kingdom purposes. Because if every person fulfilled the ministry that God has for them, that would be absolutely revolutionary. Perhaps this is the next major breakthrough happening in the church today. So may we be people who get in on what God is up to by living by faith, knowing and embodying his word, and by being his hands and feet in all of the sacred callings that he has given to every one of us. And as the reformers would say, to God be the glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. And as we pray, let's just take a moment to listen to the Lord about which of these breakthroughs might better break through into your life. Maybe for you, you have been frustrated by your work. Or maybe you've been in a period of transition and you're wondering what God is up to. What would it look like for you to live out what you're doing now as a sacred, holy calling. Perhaps right now you need to ask God to help you see yourself and your work as the ministry of God. Imagine how that might change how you do your work. So Lord, I pray for everybody who's maybe struggling with work, whatever that job might be, Give us fresh energy through your spirit to realize that this work matters. That this work is holy work. It's a sacred calling. And help us to do it the way you would do it if you were us, Jesus. Lord, I think many of us today probably felt convicted that we can often take your holy word for granted. We know in it is life and life that can be discovered to the fullest as we follow the teaching of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to have a greater passion, greater diligence to be able to not only know it, to study it, but to live it. And Lord, I want to pray for everybody here today who might be feeling the anxiety that Luther felt or many of us has felt at different times over wondering whether or not we are in the right relationship with God. That we, know, that, that we might not know if we are going to heaven or where we're going to be. That can be crippling. I pray that all of us would sense just the glory of the gospel message that Jesus did for us, but we could never do for ourselves. So teach us, Lord, to live by faith, to receive this gift, to put on that backpack so that we could walk with you.
If you're here today and have never made that commitment, or maybe you need to renew that commitment today because you feel so much pressure trying to perform, ask God that you might experience the freedom, the forgiveness found in Christ's sacrifice. Ask for his forgiveness and commit to him that you want to live by faith. Make that your prayer now, just silently. So Lord, we thank you that you who began a good work in the church, you are carrying it out to completion. And we might be finding ourselves in a major movement of what you're doing. So Lord, may we hoist up our sails. May we be responsibly obedient to how the Spirit's movement is leading us so that we can be a part of what you're doing for your great glory and for the good of this world now and always. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.